You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are beginning our second novel for the year. Soji Shimada's The Tokyo Zodiac Murders from the beginning of the novel until the end of the first... uh, What are they called, Interacte. Interacte. Interacte, I believe, because there's an apostrophe there. But yeah. Until just before Act 2 starts. (laughs) It's the first intermission in the, the play that is this novel. I want to say, look, you're you're this the is, oh, so you're good. the person, you know, be going in blind. But I need to state as an undisputed fact, yes, this is the best novel ever. Certainly, the best novel this year. Not that there's, you know, <laughs> much competition, but it is. Uh, you know, I I had a conversation with someone. I want to uh-huh. let you know who listened to us. You know, go through our review, our review when they said you picked a lot of novels that were from the end of the year to like put higher up. In, in like the top bit of review season, I was like, maybe just because we got better at picking murder mysteries. And this novel was proof that we have because I I struggle seeing how this novel wouldn't end up in the top three at the end of the year. This was an absolute blast to read through. I thoroughly enjoyed this and I'm enjoying this. This is... It's amazing. Maybe that's what's going to happen this year. Maybe we'll just get to the, be like, man, those last couple novels were garbage. Let's go back to the start of the Let's year and like find something, the Tokyo have, Zodiac something we have nostalgia for and just put that right at the top. So, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Honestly. The Tokyo Zodiac murders, the, the murders themselves, take oh place in goodness. 1936, allegedly committed by the late Heikichi yes. Umezawa. We need to... Oh, I love the premise for this novel because, yes, the murders take place in 1936 and then we jump forward after, mind you, a hundred-page-long monologue from a crazy person about all these murders they're going to commit find out they died before they had the chance to even commit the murders and then we jump forward 40 years yes i just the setup for this novel is so fun (laughs) i will say as much as i enjoy the idea of people 43 years in the future trying to solve a cold case murder mystery as an amateur sleuth thing that's fun the problem uh-huh. is- What do you not like? Soji Shimada then spends the entirety of Act 1 with the two uh, detectives, Koizumi and Kiyoshi, uh-huh. sitting in a room just telling each other what happened. Is that a problem? And because they're How just- How is that a problem? On, That's my favorite part of the because novel. Because they're just <laughs> telling each other about it, there is no scene that takes place. I it's have just no the one scene That's dragged so out over what is I described as five different scenes. Do not even care. And this, you know, this is partly due to just my own interest in like the characters. That's all I care about. Uh-huh. So for me, this is perfect. I love two people sitting in a room discussing this murder that they both have knowledge of and that they're trying to solve together. I love that we're given the perspective of the Watson, uh, Mr. Kazumi here, because he's just so hype about murder mystery and I love it. Let's uh, consider for a moment. Do you have to consider? Soji Shimada. Soji Shimada was the progenitor of his uh-huh. own school of uh, of crime fiction, sure. which we have on this show unofficially dubbed the Soji Shimada School of Crime Fiction, sure. Sure. a la Dr. Michael Grost's lists on his website, which sure. we would always recommend you go check out because it's an incredibly useful tool if you're into the murder mystery genre. But if you look at Soji Shimada and this scene between uh, Kiyoshi and Koizumi, mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's really great for the same reasons you say. Thank you. But. No, no but. But. End of statement. I will say that a a follower of the school of Soji Shimada, Keigo Higashino, Uh 
did a fantastic job of reworking this idea of a scene in The Devotion of Suspect X. Sure, sure. I mean, in in that novel, yes, we have discussions between, you know, the culprit and the detective, which is a little bit more tantalizing. Yes. And it works itself kind of directly into that cat and mouse game. It's a bit more engaging and involving, but watching Kiyoshi figure things out and say, aha, I've solved the case. And because we'd be like, yes, it took the cops a whole week to figure that out. It's like, (laughs) no, they've already- yeah. Why do you taunt me with this? Like no. the, the back and forth between the two of these characters is phenomenal. It's really good. It's oh, I love it. Like the thing is, I I do I was a little worn down by the, it just you? being the two of them for the entire first act of this book. But yeah. the two of them for the first act of this book is really really good. Don't yes, get me wrong. I thoroughly agree. I think that's the kind of thing that would turn off someone who isn't into the puzzle. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you aren't into the puzzle, Soji Shimada isn't for you anyway. Yeah. I guess. We'll talk about this as we go into future weeks, but uh, Craig Sisterton, who we had on the show for Southern Cross Crime at the end of last year, uh, linked me to an interview that he did with Soji Shimada, where Soji talked about mm. uh, the four phases of crime fiction, which I think I've referenced on the show a couple yeah, of times. We, we'll get about. into this a bit later, but the essence of it is is that Soji Shimada was big on bringing the technical puzzle back mm-hmm. into engaging crime fiction. Yes. And I think that this intro scene is a great mission statement mm-hmm. because it demonstrates this is all all about the puzzle, yep. but it still frames it in a very modernly written yes. way where we're not going plotting about the crime scene in the same way as you might with the Golden Age detective. It's, it's, not, it's not quite so clinical. Um, and also we, we're established that the mystery is important to the characters yeah. and not in a contrived way like, oh, it was your brother's sister who died or your old master who trained you in the Western ways or whatever. <laughs> like the characters that we're given are relatively mundane. We're given astrologers and yes. fortune tellers, which is so strange. The other thing that I really like about this introduction in terms of how the two of them are engaged in it is, as you were saying, when they're talking about, oh, well, the police figured that out in a week. The other thing they talk about is how long it took amateur detectives yes. to figure it out, because this is a famous cold case that was published in a book called The Tokyo Zodiac Murders. Yes. In the book, The Tokyo Zodiac Murders. It's so fun. Very confusing. But it's really interesting how it's self-aware ah. about the audience response yep. to murder mystery fiction, because there is something a little grotesque about sitting around a table talking about, you know, these real actual crimes that totally definitely actually happened <laughs> something something true crime um yeah. <laughs> and i i think that it's really good how soji shimada tackles that in a way where we're dealing with the competitive spirit of it in the nature of murder mystery yep. rather than taking a half-hearted dive into the ethical implications of oh think of the effect it would have on these people's lives soji shimada is being very aware about the fact it wouldn't work for this particular premise He's, he leans on it uh, throughout the story the idea that you know people are affected by investigations into their lives. And that's like an important thing that we should think about, but it's not the focus of this story because we're being given it through the point of view of the crazy man at the start of the novel. And then Kazumi later on, we can kind of contextualize it as something that is, is detached from our lives. I suppose. I think the other thing that's good about that is that we have this kind of detached perspective of Kiyoshi and Koizumi, but it also means that when we jump over to the confession letter from the policeman, Bunjiro Takegoshi, it also means that his perspective where he is actually traumatized by the case and what happened to him in the course of it, it means that it hits a lot harder because of that contrast. For sure. I, I feel like some crime fiction that we've read on the show tends to have that contrast, but they work in a way that almost devalues each other. Yeah, I think also that I've been 
just, you know, on Death the Reader, I've been harping on shows that don't quite stick the landing on, yeah. their, on their ending. And we're only in week one right now, but I feel that this novel does a really good job of continuing its pace and continuing its, its story all the way to the end, um, which is something I'm really looking forward to talking about. Well, yeah, the point. through line from the oh. prologue to the police confession is Makes a so really good loop. Like It really is. I, I would genuinely, I would have paid to buy this book if it was only this much. Yeah. If this was an open-ended puzzle that yep. Soji Shimada just sent out into the world, I would not be frustrated at the all. The bookends of the, because uh, they're both essentially confessions is yeah. the thing. That's the trick of it. They parallel each other. In the ravings of the madman, we have, this is how I'm going to cut up each of the six bodies and how I'm going to kill them. And this is roughly how I'm going to move them, put them in different places in Japan. And this is the important thing. And then when we get to the police confession, he says, I took each of the six daughters to each of the six locations. And this is the way that I was blackmailed and da, 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 da. Yeah, it, it feels good. It, yeah. it, is a, it is a well-rounded package in just this part alone. And actually, now that we've mentioned it, let's talk a little bit about the case. So sure. basically, Heikichi Umizawa, who we mentioned, had a suicide note, a confession that he was going to mm. um, murder six of the women in his family. A recipe, you might yes. say. An alchemical recipe. Cut them up into pieces, <laughs> dot them around Japan to raise Azoth, the one perfect woman made from the pieces of all yeah. of them. Well, to be clear, like the Azoth is supposed to be like the perfect element that will- uh, at once, like, bring untold riches and also resurrect the old empire of Japan. That's, yeah. like, the, the significance that Heikichi puts on Azoth. It's, and- it's really interesting how it's written about simultaneously as this, like, female personification, but sure. also as this just, like, godlike magical yep. element. He, he comes to the conclusion that Azoth has to be a woman because he, he likes women. Yep. And it's going to be really cool and, and all his cultist friends are going to love it. <laughs> uh, he's going to put a picture of himself with Azoth on Instagram. But as I as I alluded to, <laughs> I'd find, this is getting derailed very quickly. I'm sorry. Joke. But <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's topical. Fortunately, he didn't have Instagram in the 1930s, shockingly. But yeah, he, he you know, he's going to create Azoth, but unfortunately he he perishes. He dies in his room, in a locked room, mind you. Unfortunately, he says. And, and yet the ceremony is carried out anyway, and it's up to us to figure out who killed the entire family. And we have to figure out what went wrong. What curse has befallen this noble house? That we do. Herds, we'll uh, get into that at the tail end of the show where I'm in the hot seat. Yay! You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing Act 1 and a police confession of Soji Shimada's The Tokyo Zodiac Murders. We'll be back with more of that in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here. On the line, we're joined by Anne Chapman, author of A Kind of Catharsis, a grimy tale set in Invercargill, New Zealand, where she grew up before satiating our lust for some yeah noir, and also penned several nonfiction works on heritage roses. And that's quite the leap, Anne. Welcome to the show. Hello. Well, I'm pleased to be here. And yes, it is quite a leap to go from um, what is essentially fact-based stuff to... Information that just comes out of my head. Yeah, I can imagine. So, so Anne, a, a kind of catharsis features a, a vast cast of characters that feels it's so much busier than your average murder mysteries as they go about trying to get justice, gain turf, revenge, and more. How did you juggle keeping all of those different layers and all that depth of your story kind of contained into one novel? Well, with difficulty, <laughs> I can say. <laughs> and the novel itself was about twice as big when I finished it, and I needed to cut, cut, cut. So that's what I did. And, and my process of writing this, this murder mystery 
was that I had attended a workshop by renowned um, novelist, poet, writer called Rene, who is a friend and who lives in Otaki as well. And and the the theme of the, the novel kind of came about because of a, a conflation of, of a number of events. And one was that I couldn't get an author, uh, a printer interested in my male version of Women in My Rose Garden. So it was just sitting languishing in my hard drive. Um, my younger sister died. My grandson got leukemia. And and I attended Renee's Renee's course, and I thought, well, can I weave a story using using those things? So that's what I did. Yeah, I, I think it's really fascinating. The book that we're reading alongside this on the show, The Tokyo Zodiac Murders, delves a lot into the personal interests and the connections of Soji Shimada, the author, and his fascination with mysticism. And I notice in here as well, there are a few well-detailed flowers that remind us of uh, your previous nonfiction. So as well as, you know, the difficulty in making the leap and learning from that workshop into making murder mysteries, you know, how was it kind of injecting yourself and those personal stories? Because obviously, you know, there's a character who's struggled with leukemia and we deal with the death of uh, of George's sister very early in the story and that continues to be a theme through the novel. How was it injecting and kind of letting those emotions out in the process of actually writing the book? Well, I found it quite hard and, my, and Rene, my tutor, kept saying to me, get out of the fact and into the fiction, And So I had to make that leap of... Yes, although these things happened in my life, the book is not really about those things. I mean, my sister wasn't murdered, so let's put that out. <laughs> out there. I just used her death and her illness as, as something to hang a story on, if you like. Mm. Um, the fact that my grandson got leukemia, I just thought that was an interesting aspect of many people's lives and how they deal with that and how um, how these days people survive leukemia. It was many years ago um, as a young nurse that I used to nurse young leukemia patients and they invariably died. So that back history of mine was heavy on me, if you if you like, and that um, although intellectually I knew that treatments had moved on and that these kids were now surviving emotionally, this kid was dying. And my grandson would say to his father, who was my son, you know, that, that Anne looks at me as if I'm going away. You need to tell her I'm not. I'm not going to die. So he was always very positive um, about his survival. It was only me being a Christelle grandmother that was worried. Yeah, I thought that was one really good thing about the way that you portrayed Niall in this story is the way that he'd kind of taken those frustrations and turned them into uh, his motivation to help other people in the story and why it's so powerful uh, with what he starts to struggle with later in the story, which we'll get into in short order. It, it feels a lot as though the the way that you handled the the players in this story, the different characters, was very holistic uh, in how you approach its ecosystem, um, its benefiters, its detractors, uh, that sort of thing. What led you to put such a slimy parasite in the form of Rob Bennett into that ecosystem there, Anne? As a, as a nurse, and, and also my local, I was a local government politician for, for 18 years, and so I learned a lot about bullies. A lot of doctors are bullies, a lot of patients are bullies, and local government is full of bullies. And I have this abiding hatred now of bullies. So 
Rob, in my story, was essentially a bully and he wanted things his way. Rene said to me, I paint my villains really well, but I'm not so good at painting my good people. I thought that was one of the very fascinating things about uh, about the way that you portrayed ostensibly the protagonists in this story is that so much of the narrative weight to what they go through is not only um, them struggling with what the bullies have done to them, but also with the the thirst for revenge and you know balancing that with their innate sense of justice. And you know when you look at this and the personal catharsis that you went through in putting pen to page. Do you think that we all need some way, be it writing crime fiction or listening to loud, angry music to vent our demons in the way to deal with these bullies and these darker paths to life? Well, yes, I do. And I used to have um, a three-acre garden and a, and a rose nursery, which is why there's so much rose stuff in, in the books. And I would take my anger out in the garden, digging holes, planting roses, cutting roses, that kind of thing. So so you need to have a mechanism. And what I wanted to do was explore the lengths that good people will go to to get justice. I, I think one of the other things that impressed me so much about that novel is as well as um, managing to get not only, I guess, your catharsis across, but the catharsis of uh, the protagonists in the story once they've uh, resolved themselves to do what they do without uh, throwing any spoilers out there. But simultaneously, once we've had that catharsis and that resolution, the book then ends up in a place that sets up directly for a sequel that you already laid a preview for at the end of the book without feeling like it was entirely open-ended either. And I thought that balance was really impressive. When did the plan of making it a series uh, become a decision rather than just an idea. Um, towards the end of the book, when I was when I was just finalising, I thought this book was about women as victims, and I have worked um, with women all, all my life, and so I decided that I wanted to make another novel using some of those people, but making the women the the stronger in the second novel. So to try and to balance that, women as victims. But also women can be really strong people as well. And finally, Anne, this is a show here uh, about murder mystery. We do murder mystery fiction. We solve them as we go. And uh, one of the things that fascinated me is that, you know, this this is ostensibly a murder mystery, but it completely subverts that in a very, uh, I think, fascinating modern way where we actually see just about every crime happen on screen and then the mystery more becomes, you know, who gets away with it rather than the very technical locked rooms. Yeah, rather than who did it. We know who did it, but whether they mm. get away with it or not and how, and how they did it. Do you think that there is just as fascinating a question in that approach to murder mystery as there is in uh, solving the crime from the ground up in the way that the classic stories do? Well, I thought it was a, a really interesting way to approach the novel because I don't think it would, be, would have worked if I'd done it in the, the traditional way. And, and again, it's as good versus evil. And I think it, for this particular catharsis, it worked really well. Yeah. I think uh, it it definitely had me surprised. I was I was certainly shocked when we came uh, when when we came up to the is it the third murder in the book? You start to lose track at some point. It's like how how can she keep making these crimes grimier and we keep going? 
And this is a little old lady who lives in rural New Zealand. Where does she <laughs> it's get always the, the one you least expect. Yeah. Where does she get this stuff from? Absolutely. Well, Anne, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you here on Death of the Reader and reading through A Kind of Catharsis. We'll have links up on the podcast to get the book if you're curious in checking it out. A bit of a different uh, yen noir modern murder mystery approach, as we mentioned there. So, Anne, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, thank you for thank you for asking me. It's been a delight. <laughs> You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing Soji Shimada's The Tokyo Zodiac Murders, and we'll be back with more of that in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour. And my goodness, Herds, we are still in the middle of... Yeah. Soji Shimada's The Tokyo Zodiac Murders. Middle. Act one and the police confessions. Mm, Well, it's funny you say the middle because technically we're only at the end of act one of five, but that's also like page, in my copy at least, page like 480 out of a thousand pages. You do have a very small screen that you read us on. It's true. I do. I have a teeny tiny screen, but it's good. It's a good little screen. It works. I can read it in bed. That's that's how I usually read murder mysteries. For for those of you who aren't familiar, Herds and I are both ebook readers. Herds largely just because, you know, he doesn't have anywhere to put paper in his house. It's true. Me, because I (laughs) annotate my books to just the nines and I would hate to deface an actual paper yeah. book with all of well, my scrollings. You don't want to look at the actual books that are in Flex's house because they're all just covered in occult scrollings and <laughs> and notes to summon, you know, murder mystery gods. It's it's quite embarrassing, really. It it really is. I would never be able to <laughs> donate them because I, I would I would be put in prison. You'd also be putting, I presume, the solutions to the book way earlier in the book than you know you're supposed to have them. But that's all of the. I things. suppose that's true. Um, at least for murder mystery books, who's to say that I don't make notes on other books as that's well? That's true. It's possible. But herds, yeah. We are here to solve the Tokyo Zodiac yeah. murders, and I have something to ask you. Uh-huh. What's what's that question? I am so confident about this one uh-huh. that I think I should not tell the audience what I think. <laughs> yeah. y- you know, we mentioned it on last week's yeah, show well, that we've read a book that was inspired yeah. by this one. Very, very strongly inspired. That I don't <laughs> I don't know if the two are connected in terms of how their mystery I've, works. Yeah. But I will leave it up to your professional judgment okay. as to should I tell the audience what my theory is? I've told you I'll off, tell you what off I think. Mike. I am going to put a point today on the solving of the, the first locked room murder. Uh-huh. I want you to tell me how that locked room murder took place yep. and maybe talk about uh, Kazue's death. Sure. Uh, and if we have time, we can dive into the, the six bodies. Okay. Um, but I think I want the focus for this week to be on that. Because there's, there's essentially three crimes to solve here. I think we'll do the first two today, and maybe we give some hints as to your grand design. All right. But we'll talk about the big whopper next week. That sounds good. How's that, that sounds sound good. To you? Sound fair? Sure. Awesome. What did you want to ask me about the first locked room, Herds? How because is it as done? we know, as we know on a murder mystery, Herds, a locked room doesn't matter because uh-huh, the fact is, garbage. is it was done. Uh, the premise of a locked room is that it was not a locked room, but you need to tell me how the locked room was constructed, Flex. That's part of the, the spirit of a murder mystery. And I want you to tell me how you think this this locked room was constructed. Well, there's a whole bunch of different clues here. There's the footprints in the snow. There's the the broken glass ceiling. There's the bed that's like on the the murder body. There's also an identical twin. Do you think the identical twin factors into this at all? Absolutely not. That's garbage. Why would they put an identical twin in this novel if there wasn't going to be some kind of body double? Uh, You know, that's an excellent question, actually, now that you ask it. (laughs) 
You tell me. I think that's it's just a red herring just to spice things up a little okay. bit. Sure, the thing is, is that all we really know is that there was a rope found in uh, Heikichi's current wife's room, it's along true. with some poison, which was it's used true. to kill to the girls later the on. Girls. So we can assume that even if Heikichi's wife isn't the murderer, whoever was mm, the murderer planted okay. evidence and the rope was probably also a part of that. Okay. So we can assume that the I, locked room was constructed using rope somehow. Okay, sure. Do you want to define that for me? Because I, w- I would think that in a novel, you know, written by Soji Shimada here, this veteran of crime fiction, you know, talk on pals and stuff. Do you think they would just use the, you know, the tired old hook and line fishing pole trick? Is this a three-tap scenario? A fake three-tap <laughs> scenario? A two-and-a-half-taps, if you will? Oh, my is goodness. Is that what's happening a, here? That's a throwback. It is. Shout out to those of you in the audience who've <laughs> listened to the three-taps and know what Herds is on about. I, I need you to be more specific. Because all you've told me so far is that it's not actually a well, here's room, the room and it involves rope. Here's that's what I, not sufficient here's, for a point. Here's what I'm positing to you. What are you positing? They close that padlock by throwing rope either through the skylight or through the window that their footprints okay. were around, okay. which doesn't make a difference. Like, okay. uh, which window it was doesn't make a difference. Sure. Okay, so you think it was they threw some rope in and pulled it? Pulled Presumably, the shut. they tied the rope while they were still in there, then closed the door and locked it from the outside. Um, and how do you think that the the man was actually killed? You assume it is Heikishi, so do, do you think he was killed by bed? No, you think- <laughs> he, he was not killed by four women lifting four, up a four women bed. lifting up a bed and dropping it on him. That makes sense to me. That seems legitimate. Does th- their theory actually says in the book that they lifted the bed up while he was in it. He fell Let's out and then they dropped the bed on I him. I want to be clear. Part of the theory is also that because there's only one set of, of women's footprints that because they're all they're all ballet dancers, they can step in each other's footprints. And so you can just imagine this like music and I'm going, like stepping in each other's footprints, like leaping around. Like, yeah, I think he was just hit over the head with something. We don't have any attention drawn to a weapon. So I assume the killer took it with them. Okay. I guess we could move on to, to Kazue's death. Sure. This one's very simple. What's the, what's the answer? In the police confession, the police officer mentions that the woman he saw and slept with before the crime took place looked younger than the woman that was described after the death was reported. Mm. Thus, it is one of the other women in the family who slept with the police officer and then set up the crime scene. But Felix, they're all dead. All of those six daughters were killed. Oh, no, they weren't. They were killed after Casaway's oh. death. Oh, you're right. <laughs> then who was it? Who's the mystery woman? Well, I can't tell you that. We're saving that for next week. Well, the mystery killer. It could be anyone. It could be anyone. It could be anyone. Herds is looking me in the eyes across the table right now. He knows I know. You don't know anything. You'll have to read the novel to find out. I'm sure there'll be lots of clues in the second part of this story if you, you work with. If you are following along at home, and you should because this is a fantastic novel, hmm. uh, hit read us up, it yourself. Hit us up yeah. at Flex and Herds. Let us know your solutions. And uh, if you uh, if if you if you posit us a good one, we'll bring it up on the show. Please compare do. it to our own notes. Yeah, I, I do want to mention, uh, you know, before we close out the segment, uh, I had considered giving you the latitude and longitude puzzle, but that puzzle is just so ridiculously obtuse. I, d- I felt like it would have been unfair. It, w- it would have been the equivalent of of asking someone to figure out what some stock exchanges mean in a novel where there are no stock exchanges relevant to the story. You know, just some random numbers. Who knows what they mean? Who Pretty knows what they that. mean? But 
you know, I'm I'm tr- what I'm trying to say is I'm less. Oh, you're cruel being than generous here. I'm you're less cruel than the man on the ro- across the room. You're being yeah. generous in a novel that you know I know the answer to. I'm, that I'm I don't know that, that I know the answer to, we'll but I'm to confident. We'll have to see. Let's be clear. Most of that puzzle is solved through Act One. Yes. And I think well, that's the thing. Right? I think that it is an excellent inclusion by Soji sure. Shimada because. For the type of reader that wants to solve that kind of thing, it is completely there and they can see it in the introduction, in the prologue, and go, oh, I can solve this and go do it. I'd be curious to see how possible it is to actually solve it or how much hack geography Soji Shimada put in. But I have faith in Soji Shimada. In my mind, that puzzle is sort of meant to, in in a sense, kind of intimidate the reader. Oh, totally. That's That was my impression um, which is which is why, you know, when it came to actually solving the story as I was reading through it, I was so confident that it was going to be something like really simple. Yeah. Because that sort of puzzle you you put in the story to kind of draw the the reader's attention away yeah. from what's actually going on. Right? Well, that's the thing. We have we have the latitude and longitude puzzle. We have the depths that the bodies were buried at. Yeah. We have the locations the bodies were buried in. We have the order that they were found. And Kiyoshi and Koizumi point out all of this and try to reason it out. And don't come to a conclusion. How much of that do you think is important to the mystery? Uh, I I assume all of it will be explained by the end. Okay. I do not think any of it will change the nature of the answer. Sure. I would encourage you to at least have a think about that yourself, the depths and the locations, to see if there's something that you can derive from them flex for next week. All I will leave us with is if you are following along with the story and and flex, yes. uh, don't expect a ton of development of the mystery side of things in the next No, it seems like acts, the, the questions right? have been asked, yeah. the rest will be exploration. The, the mystery and is very much front loaded to the to the story here. So look forward to the rest of the story. I thoroughly enjoy Acts two and three, but I I think I think most authors probably would have just cut them. Let's put it that way. Let's <laughs> put it that way and move on to the next episode I'm of scared. Death of the Reader. Herds, thank you very much for, for posing me this one. Yeah, I'm glad that we got to experience it. I'm sorry that you didn't get to be in the hot seat for this one because I, I know we both would have liked to. I We should have, you know what I'm we should have done? three points. You know what we should have done? We should have gotten Sean Britton in here to drip feed us pieces of the puzzle. We should have given him the driver's seat. That would have been fun. <laughs> I think we could have got him for three weeks. Damn. Does he have that kind of time? Uh, Sean Britton's too famous for that kind of thing. I was going to say, he's off doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Writing books, hosting Friday Daily. He's he's all around. I don't think he could make it for little old us. (laughs) You know, there's there's always hope. Maybe we'll have him on the show soon enough. We will be back up to Soji Shimada's first message in the Tokyo Zodiac murders next week on the show. Thank you very much for joining us here on 2SER 107.3. This is Death of the Reader. 